Hello everybody and welcome to this latest edition of Coffee with Innovate Finance, a series of bite-sized interviews with leading experts from across industry. In these episodes, we explore a range of topics focused on the ever-evolving landscape of financial services and fintech innovations. I'm Josh Tanson, startup lead across public policy and membership here at Innovate Finance, and I'm delighted to have with me today Matt Cocaine, Chief Commercial Officer at Yapley. Matt is an experienced professional within the fintech community, and it's my pleasure that he has found the time to join us today to explore these topics and more. Matt, could you begin by introducing our listeners to Yapley and how it all began back in 2017? Sure, and thanks for having me on the podcast, Joshua. Really looking forward to the discussion. Um, so we've just passed our three-year anniversary. Um, Stefano, Stefano, our founder, set up the company just over three years ago. Having gone to a talk about open banking and been inspired by the opportunities it presented in the transformational um, scope of open banking and open finance for financial services and other sectors. Um, so here at Yapoli, we, we simplify open banking for people. So we connect to all the banks, both in the UK and across Europe. We remove the complexity and then we allow um, customers to be able to access that through a single API and really build great propositions using open banking. Okay, great. Yeah, really interesting. So um, I guess just to follow on from that, um, are there any particular sort of changes that you're seeing as open banking becomes more developed, more integrated into sort of new product offerings as obviously it evolves from its initial sort of launch? Um, and can you tell us a little bit more and build upon how you're working with your current partners, such as the one that you have with Money Farm? Sure, absolutely. So I think originally open banking was all about the data, so about the transaction data and really replacing sort of the legacy data access methods that existed. The real change we're seeing at the moment, I think, is the move towards the other side of open banking, which is the payments initiation side. Um, it's kind of been ignored so far in, the, in how everyone talks about open banking, but really that's where we see the significant volume and also significant usage um, from consumers and from businesses being able to do this um, to the extent that we, we would expect anywhere between five and ten times the volume on payments versus the data transaction requests. Okay, that's interesting. And, and is that sort of sitting in a space where it's um, almost bypassing third-party fees and enabling sort of payments direct from bank accounts? Do you see that as a significant Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's exactly the use case. And so referring back to Money Farm, um, Money Farm are using us for both payments initiation and account information. As a wealth manager, uh, fintech wealth manager, you'd expect them to want to see the data side first, but actually for them, the priority was the payment side because people funding their money farm account were generally doing it by card. That's quite expensive as a, as a source of acquisition for them. By using open banking payments, they can move that cost to nearly zero compared to sort of paying one to 2% on a card fee whilst they can build great propositions for their customers. And that's just savings that they can then pass on to their customers in their overall fees and the service that they can provide. So I think, I think that's absolutely the number one use case. And we've seen the other piece on payments really is around the e-commerce piece. And we've seen companies save sort of between six, 70 and 85% of their cost of transaction fees by moving to open banking. Do, do you still think there's a bit of a way to go in terms of mass consumer adoption? Do you think, um, do you think there's reasons behind that? Do you think there needs to be sort of a more consumer information campaign? Um, and then I guess following on from that, what, what would excite you most about the opportunity of mass consumer adoption um, of open banking? So I think there's still a way to go. However, that's mainly because there's not that many propositions in the market around payments. 
Um, most people I speak to, they're looking for it as another rail that exists alongside current payment methods for customers. Really good example would be um, the, the Captain Tom uh, fundraising piece that happened earlier in the lockdown period. Um, they had, uh, Just Give Insight had at the top of their payment options, the Amex pay by bank piece. Um, because it was at the top, a lot of people just picked it. And I think that was a first interaction of an open banking payment journey for a lot of individuals. And when you're doing that in app to app, it's, it's just so simple and quick and clean compared to having to enter your credit card data, putting in the, the three digit number. Some people may force you through secure customer authentication as well. Mm. You do it by open banking, all that's built into the journey. And it, it, you can authenticate it on your mobile, you confirm and give consent that you want to make that payment and then you're complete. So it's, it's so simple. Uh, and the, the user experience is so superior, I think, to paying by card. Um, that, that those kind of experiences, as more and more merchants roll those out, and it's going to have to be merchant-led, um, that, will, that will get people comfortable with it. And I think you'll then see that sort of spark into mass adoption. And I think the, the exciting part there is actually just the savings. Because at the moment, if you're, if you're a merchant having to pay fees on these, you're just passing that on to the consumer. If you're not having to pay those fees, you can pass that saving on to the consumer. I think in this world of, sort of recovery from COVID, where lots of firms are looking to save costs, actually open banking really enables that on the payment side quite significantly. Yeah, completely agree. I think that was the that was the next point I was going to pick up on is whether you think COVID nineteen, um, everything around it, whether it's um, you know a shift towards a new model of payments or whether it's actually just um, you know new focus on consumers downloading digital applications how we analyze spending habits to make predictions, whether you think COVID-19 will actually be a significant driver as we move into sort of a more sort of adoptive phase of open banking. Um, and then I guess, yeah. I think it's driving the digitization agenda quite significantly. We're seeing this whole um, mass adoption of digital tools and, and methods that previously people were expected to take five to 10 years to really drive. Um, you're seeing that be accelerated significantly by by COVID. And open banking is kind of the right tool at the right time, whether it's for the payment side or whether it's for you want to get a loan as a business or an individual because you're struggling financially, being able to share your data instantly with open banking rather than having to scan or upload bank statements or any of those kind of legacy technologies just makes the whole process much smoother and quicker and easier for an end user and for the company offering that service. So I think, I think it's really actually going to drive quite a significant spike in adoption. And, and then just to pick up as well and um, do more of a deep dive of sort of what Yapli has been up to in the past sort of three months. So ha has, has COVID-19 sort of had a major impact on the way that you operate or has it sort of been business as usual from your perspective? Um, so I think initially we saw quite a, a significant slowdown in the fintech space. Um, that's now picked up again as, as kind of in the initial kind of let's stop all spending of net new things. That's now a move that's kind of picked up and we're really seeing the markets increase quite significantly. On the corporate side, we've actually seen acceleration because now that a lot of this corporate staff are all working from home, they seem to have more time in their day. So actually be able to prioritize on strategic initiatives around open banking. Having talked a lot about these things for the last year or two, they're now actually moving forward with them. So so we're actually seeing significant pieces come to market on this. Okay, that's, that's good to hear. Um, 
I mean, part of Innovate Finance's work has been um, reaching out to industry to see, um, you know, obviously focusing on the implications of COVID-19, but we're hearing similar sort of messages from across different, um, I guess, subsectors that partnerships have really been accelerated in, in recent times. So it's good to hear the same is happening from your perspective. Um, I guess a, a common question as well, um, sticking on sort of the, the theme of COVID-19. Um, do, do you expect a new wave of innovation post-crisis as we did in 2008? Um, what are your thoughts on that and how do you think it would look? So could you repeat the question? It just kind of broke up a little bit there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it, it's just to pick up again on, on COVID-19. Um, and a common question that we've been asking our previous guests guess is um, should we expect a new wave of innovation post-crisis as we did in 2008 um, what are your thoughts on this how do you think it would look and what do you think needs to be prioritized by industry government regulators whoever it may be I think it will drive a significant surge of innovation I think a lot of pe people who are in an unfortunate situation where they might lose their job or they've been put on furlough that gives them the opportunity potentially to to go after an opportunity that they've always thought about but they've kind of been a bit reluctant to go for i think crisis always creates a disruption however through that disruption things like fintech and innovation actually thrive to some extent you might not see it immediately but if you look at the last downturn things like uber stripe those kind of firms are all created in the, in the ashes of the financial crash, I think we'll see a similar, a similar process here. And equally for firms like ourselves, who are just a Series A firm, it's really an opportunity for us to, to expand our offering. And we've significantly increased our headcount during the lockdown, which has had its own challenges around remote onboarding, but we've nearly doubled the size of the firm in headcount during lockdown. Since lockdown? Yeah. So how many employees are you, are you um, at in total now then? I think we're up to 60 something. I don't know, we have new people joining every week. It's very hard to stay on top of it, to be honest. Yeah, I guess that's testament to how much your partnerships are growing and how much Yapley is expanding in, in light of um, the lockdown period. Um, I, I think an, another thing that I'd like to pick up on you uh, with is the um, FCA's sort of call for input on open finance. I think this is obviously a place where Yapley is gonna play a huge role um, in. I, I'm just wondering whether you think the timelines for this has expanded or whether you think the need for um, sort of more data sets on um, alternative financial services structures needs to come in now. Um, and yeah, just sort of to get your opinion around the open banking into open finance model. So I think open banking is really kind of step one, as we see it. Open finance is really step two, and then it's kind of open everything after that. To your average consumer, if they use an open banking type service, they wouldn't understand why they can only see certain of their bank products in a solution. And so if you look at a PFM type solution and it's using open banking, your average consumer in the street has no idea why they can only see a current account, a credit card, maybe a savings account, versus all the products they may have with that bank. It makes no sense to them. However, it's just a regulatory challenge. So I think now it's about actually empowering the end user, whether that's a consumer, whether that's a, a business, whether that's a corporate, actually with all of their data, so they can then make better financial choices and get better financial services. The, the logic of Stripe of limiting it to just those accounts has really been exposed now that other territories are actually going further and faster than, than the UK. Um, Australia has just gone live with consumer data, right? That's all financial products the bank have. Brazil are going live with a similar version, but they're also doing payments. So I think there's the risk that kind of the UK is in the position where we were leading the charge on this. 
and we're at risk of slipping behind. Unfortunately, the FCA slipped their consultation by six months on open finance. But I think it's really important that we learn the lessons from open banking around the fact you must have an implementation body that, that encourages the big firms to open up the data into a standard that people can consume and that they maintain those APIs that to a certain quality so that people can build businesses and solutions on the back of them. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and thanks for your thoughts on that. I think um, we're running close to the end of the podcast. I think um, just a final question and probably quite a tricky one for you. Um, in light of the recent Wirecard scandal, um, I was just wondering whether you think there's any lessons that can be learned in terms of financial super supervision and regulation um, and whether Yapley have actually had any sort of internal response to the, um, to the collapse of Wirecard. Um, yeah, just looking for any thoughts that you might want to share on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Wirecard doesn't seem to be a fintech problem. It just looks like a, from mm. the outside, it looks like a traditional fraud problem. Um, I think the regulator not looking into the questions that were asked by multiple people is challenging for them. Um, so I think there'll be there'll have to be a lessons learned piece that goes on there. Uh, but from our side, we've we've worked with some customers of ours who are who use Wirecard, and I think it's really about how does it how does this speed up the move from cards onto open banking? It doesn't work. It's not suitable for everybody, but for a lot of propositions, actually, open banking is kind of the next step beyond just that kind of card acquiring method. Um, so it's very unfortunate for firms that are caught up in it. It was great to see someone like Curve manage to move, migrate off their Wirecard provision onto a new one over the space of a long weekend. I know it's a lot of work for all the teams involved there, but it just proves that you can, you can mitigate the, these challenges to some extent if you, put, if you throw the right people at it with the right prioritization. Yeah, I can imagine, and I guess it shows the um, nimbleness or ability of the industry to adapt um, the Curve example to manage to relaunch over the weekend. So, um, yeah, shows the fast-moving element of the sector. Um, I, I guess just before we sort of wrap up, I was just wondering whether you have any final thoughts or something to raise with our audience today, whether it's, um, you know, Yapley related or just more related to the whole industry development um, going on at the moment. So I, I just think it's it's important for people to, if they've come across open banking, they might have seen it a year ago, maybe, and thought this is not ready, it's not mature enough. The world is moving very fast. So a perfect example of this is a year ago, we were just in the UK. Now we have six countries live across Europe. By the end of the summer, we'll have a lot more. Um, it's really maturing very quickly. So look at how you can use this in your propositions whether it's around the data side of an, and data enrichment and kind of building personalized and customized offers for customers, or whether it's around the faster, cheaper payments routes that offer both via faster payments in the UK and SEPA instant in Europe. That would be, I guess, it'd be look at it again and see if it fits your business now because it's moved on a lot in the last 12 months. Right, and could you share what markets that you're currently in as well and um, maybe share some insights of where your priorities are um, in terms of regions going forward? Sure, today it's UK, Ireland, um, Germany, Italy, Spain and France. Um, and then we'll get, we're going to add Benelux, Nordics and then spread out to kind of Austria, Poland, those kind of places um, as, as the API stability is, is, is there and customer demand leads us to those countries. Hmm. All right, perfect. Well, thank you again, uh, Matt, and thanks all for the listeners for joining this week's edition of Coffee with Innovate Finance. Um, I would encourage you to look for upcoming episodes and to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and for more of our events and programs on the website. As always, and until next time, uh, take care and goodbye.